If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 will be in verses 7 to 11 this morning. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Mission Critical right now, as we've been taking a look at and reminding ourselves of what our mission is here as a church, why we exist, why we're here meeting in this least space from a daycare in the heart of fate as it grows around us. That we exist, we said at the very outset of the series, to share the gospel, to shape disciples, and to send missionaries into our neighborhoods and across the globe. That's why we're here. And if we're to be faithful to that mission, there are certain components that we need that are critical to faithfulness to that mission of sharing, shaping, and sending. The first week we said that one of the critical components is this, that we must be a people who are shaped by the word. We also must be a people who are humbled by prayer. Last week we saw we need to be a people that are empowered by the Spirit. And this week we want to take a look at being a people who are open for witness. Open for witness. So we'll pick up in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7 where we read down through verse 11 together. Peter says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now listen, if you're not familiar with the book of 1 Peter, the First Peter is written to inform a Christian community about what it looks like to live as resident aliens in the culture in which they find themselves. As those whose citizenship is held in another country, another kingdom, another world, but they're living with temporary residence or a green card status, as resident aliens in this world. So in other words, how do you live to reflect the values of your home culture in this culture, in your host culture, where you find yourself? That's what the book of 1 Peter is about. And throughout the book, we're told what it looks like to live as sojourners or aliens in the place that we find ourselves as Christians. And in this particular text, Peter runs down just a list of commands that he says should re- we should reflect as we live as resident aliens. He says we're being self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. In other words, we're not intoxicated by what the world offers and constantly pursuing temporal treasures so that our prayers are fervent and faithful. We know what we should pray for and we actually do pray because we recognize there are things that we cannot do apart from God's intervention. And so we're desperate and dependent upon Him. He also says that we're to be a people who love earnestly and serve the church rather than just flirting with the church, right? And so we're not kind of like batting our eyes at the church, right? Making kind of passing remarks, fleeting glances, but we actually leverage the gifts and skills that God has given us to lay our lives down for and serve and sacrifice in the context of a local body to which we would bind ourselves. But there's one other thing that Peter says in this text about living as a sojourner. And it's in verse 9. Peter says, one of the marks of a sojourning Christian 
is this, is that in the face of challenges, in the face of opposition, in the face of persecution, and in the face of suffering, that we're called to have lives that are open for witness. That are open for witness. Now why do I say that? Right? Let me tell you why I say that. Because what Peter calls us to in verse 9 is to live the kinds of lives that would show off consistent and uncoerced hospitality. Consistent and uncoerced hospitality. Look at what he says in verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now listen, our natural inclination when we hear what Peter says in verse 7, at the end of the, all things is at hand. You know what our natural inclination is to do at that point? It's to close ourselves off to those who are around us. Right? It's to batten down the hatches. We're going to circle the wagons. Right? We're just going to engage with our kin and our clan. Nobody from the outside's getting in. Right? We're going to move to the country and build bunkers where we're going to fortify and stock with canned goods and ammunition. Because, man, bread's going to be at $10 a loaf. Milk's going to be at $20 a gallon. Right? So we just got these prepper mentalities when we hear the world's coming to an end. This age is coming to a close. We want to withdraw from people and circle the wagons to protect ourselves. But Peter knows this. And so he says, the end of all things is at hand. And one of the implications of this age coming to a close is this. Don't close yourself off and shut other people out, but open yourself up and welcome other people in. Show, show consistent and uncoerced hospitality. In other words, Peter says this, that your life should have an open door policy have an open door policy to those who are around you you know in the workplace to have an open door policy means that probably you have a pretty decent boss right because he leaves the door open or she leaves the door open for you to come in and to engage in conversation to engage in discussion to ask questions right they're not shutting them they're not kind of sitting up on their perch or their platform but they're welcoming you in so their door is constantly open to you not only for the sake of professional but also for the sake of personal issues that might be going on in your life that's a good boss that actually cares about those that are under their authority but listen what Peter is saying is that if you're going to show this kind of hospitality you've got to have an open door policy for your life for your life. And this is particularly important, church, in a suburban subculture filled with privacy fences and back patios. Right? Listen, at some point in the last 70 years, as the suburbs continued to expand away from the urban centers of our nation's cities, Right? And the sub, these, these track homes got built and these neighborhoods were developed. Right? Oftentimes, what, what took place at some point was a shift from picket fences and front porches to privacy fences and back patios. Right? Now, think about the difference between those two things. A, a white picket fence up there in the front, just kind of quintessential America. Right? Small town America welcoming people in. The front porch is inviting. It's welcoming. You sit out there and you can engage the people in your community. The back patio, on the other hand, is not welcoming and inviting. Right? You retreat from other people and sit on the back patio so you don't have to talk to your neighbors and those who are around you. 
Right? They walk by on the sidewalk in the front and they can't even see you because you got a 10-foot privacy fence and a back patio tucked around the backside of your house where no one can see. Right? See, something changed in the American value system that went from front porches to back patios to close our lives off, more and more of our lives off from those who are around us. And listen... We could go off on a tangent here, but maybe you think I just did. However, listen, no matter what you think about the raging political debate going on in Washington right now about the building of a border wall, there are so many North Texans who have border walls personally in their lives that shut other people out. Because so many North Texans, even North Texan Christians, They see their homes as a fortress to retreat from the world, to protect themselves from the world, rather than an outpost to engage the world. You know what an outpost is? An outpost is a place where you have a small collection of troops that are separated from the larger body of of forces. Right? That's an outpost. And in a very real sense, if we're going to practice what Peter says here of showing consistent and uncoerced hospitality, we have to make a mental shift and see how we've been discipled by our culture to believe that where real life exists is shutting the world out and retreating from it onto my back patio behind my privacy fence and seeing my home as a fortress to retreat into from all the hectic craziness out there and beginning to see our homes as outposts where here we are and we got a few troops here in the house we're not the whole body of the church but we got them right here and we're going to engage those who are in our neighborhood we're going to engage those who are on our street we're going to open our life up to them and receive them in we're going to welcome them as friends we're going to receive them as family that's what it's going to take if the American church is going to be open for witness? Is a rejection of the cultural value of our day, of shutting people out and retreating within, and an embracing of a kingdom value of opening our lives up, having an open door policy for ourselves? Now listen, the reason I'm saying consistent hospitality It's because this word here in the text is actually an adjective. You know what an adjective is? It's a descriptive word, right? It's a descriptive word. In other words, it describes something particular about a person or a place, an inherent quality they possess, right? And so what Peter's not saying is this, is that hospitality is something that you kind of have a one-off, right? And so every Thanksgiving, man, you open up your house, you bring some people in. Every Mother's Day or Memorial Day or Labor Day or Super Bowl Sunday, right? Open my house up, I invite people over. It's kind of a one-off kind of thing for an event. Peter's not describing an event. What he's describing is the kind of character that's formed in a person, that you would look at them and say there's an inherent quality about them that, is a, that has an openness to their life to receiving other people in, welcoming other people in, right? So it's not, it's not just an event that you throw, like a baby shower, right? That's a good thing. 
That is being hospitable. But what Peter's talking about is a particular kind of quality that's cultivated in a person, not a one-time act. But we exhibit consistent character as, as a hospitable person. Listen, and I'm saying uncoerced hospitality because listen what else Peter says. He says, do it without what? Grumbling. Nobody's got a gun to your head. Nobody's got your arm twisted behind your back. Right? He's saying, don't grumble about it, but do it cheerfully and eagerly and willingly. And so if we're going to be, our lives are going to be open for witness, then we've got to show consistent. It's got to be something that describes our character, God's forming in us. And uncoerced, it's not manipulated. No one's twisting us. No one's got a shiv in our side saying, come on, man, you've got to open yourself up. But you've got an open door policy cheerfully, freely, and willingly. That's what Peter's describing here. But listen, what, what is it that keeps us from this? Because there are things, aren't there? There's some barriers to this kind of, of an open-door policy for your life. I want to run down several of them for you this morning. Maybe you find yourself somewhere in one of these barriers. The first one is this. It's busyness. It's busyness. Some of us are thinking right now, listen, brother, you have no idea what my schedule looks like. You have no idea the demands upon my time. Like I work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week sometimes. I've got two and three kids, and they're all involved in two or three extracurricular activities, right? We've got family across town that we're having, that we're having to go care for and, 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 and engage with. You have no idea what my, how busy my life is. Well, maybe I have a small glimpse into the busyness of your life because I've got a few of my own little ones, and they keep us going pretty consistently but let me ask you this question at the end of the day at the end of the day which would you rather walk in obedience to the scriptures and showing hospitality and cultivating a character of hospitality opening your life up to other people or or allowing your children to run and rule your life with two, three, and four extracurricular activities apiece, right? Where you go from music to basketball to baseball to football to swim to dance and you're just living this endless cycle of them being involved in everything, right? Which is better, disappointing your children because they can only pick one thing at a time or failing to live in obedience to what the scriptures teach and have a life that's open for witness. So busyness, some of us perhaps insecurity is our barrier because we're afraid of what people are going to find in us when we open our lives up to them. Because we're not quite sure of who we are. And listen, there is no better place I can tell you to look to find security for your identity than in the person of Jesus Christ. So that no matter what anyone sees whenever you open your life up, you know that He has received you by grace through faith regardless of whether they reject you or not. Third, perhaps some of us are afraid to open our lives with other people because that always involves drama. Particularly when you open your life up to people who are immature believers or unbelievers. Always comes with some drama, doesn't it? Right? There's always drama on the block. And so as you engage your neighbors, there's always going to be somebody who's going to blow something up. 
right? Whether it's with Tannerite in the backyard or whether it's just with emotional upheaval, right, on the, on the front, front stoop. Somebody's going to blow something up, right? Perhaps some of us are afraid because of past or present pain. Maybe that's our barrier. Because our tendencies, whenever we're hurt, is we want to, we're like a turtle, right? Whenever we sense a threat, we want to pull our head up inside the shell and hide and conceal ourselves from other people. And so maybe some of us, it's, we're right now in the thick of perhaps emotional trauma or emotional pain. Perhaps for some of us, we look back on the past and we're like, man, I don't want to go back there that caused so much pain for me in the past before. And so we're afraid of opening ourselves up to the pain that might be involved with having an open door policy for our lives. For others of us, it might be what I would call relational padlocks. Relational padlocks. Listen, some of us don't show hospitality because we feel like we've kind of already found our people, right? And I put that in air quotes, our people, right? The people who are like us. And so we don't need anyone else in our lives, right? I don't need any more friends. I got enough friends. Why do I need to open my life with those other people? I already got my people, right? It's me, and I'm going to ride with them till I die, right? And that's how we feel, particularly those who aren't like us. But if this is you, let me ask you a question. Where is the gospel impulse in your life? Is there a gospel impulse in your life? Because listen, I've been saying for a long time, the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough to bind us together with people who have different interests than us. People who have different backgrounds than us. People who have different skin colors than us. The gospel is big enough to bind us to get to bind black folk and white folk and brown folk together in the same body. It's big enough to bind people together who live in fate and Roy City and Rockwall and poetry. Those who live in neighborhoods with well-defined HOAs and those who escape the HOA by moving out into the country, right? It's big enough to bind together those kids who are homeschooled, those kids who are private schooled, those kids who are public schooled, those kids who are in Roy City ISD, those kids who are in Community ISD, those kids who are in Rockwall ISD. It's big enough to bind together, listen, those who wear skinny jeans and wingtips and those who wear ropers and wranglers. It's big enough to bind us together. It's big enough to bind together crossfitters and couch sitters, right? No matter where you are on that spectrum, right? It's not, the church is not about finding people who share my interest and hobbies. The church is about a body of believers who have been bound together by the blood of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Right? That's what the, that's what the body is about. It's not about Ford and Chevy and Toyota and Dodge or Longhorns and Aggies and Bears and Lions and Tigers. Oh my, right? Not about any of that. Right? And, and, and because, listen, back to the point. There's some of us have relational padlocks on our life. Now listen, it's okay to prefer one person's company to another person's company. Right? That is a natural human response. But when you lock people out of your life, when you lock people out of your life based upon your preferences and your interest and your hobbies, because they don't share the same thing, and you refuse to have an open door policy with them, right? You're not acting in obedience to what Peter says here. I don't know where I am. Sixth, social engineering. Social engineering. 
The reason some people are inhospitable, they don't have an open-door policy, but a closed-door policy for their life, is because while they may have a veneer of Christianity over their life, there's no real wood underneath. And here's what I mean by that. See, one of the ways I, I see this kind of immaturity playing out in people's lives at times is through their desperate attempt to acquire and keep social capital. You know what social capital is? Social capital is the way other people view you, the way other people see you based upon who they see you with. And some of you are like, that died in high school. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It still lives on today, right? Just driving to certain parts of this great grand city that we call home of Dallas and its sprawling suburbs that emerge from it. And social capital is still something that, social engineering is something that is still going on. You see it in, I, can, I mean, I see it as a dad sometimes. And the, the, the play dates that, 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 that parents will allow their kids, will arrange for their kids, and play dates parents won't arrange for their kids. Whether they're there or not. Now listen, I know there's probably some unhealthiness in every family, some more so than others, and you're like, I don't want my kid exposed to that. But you're not sending them over for a sleepover, right? You're meeting them at the park, right? But somebody who comes from a different background or somebody who has perhaps different views on things, we engineer our kids' lives to such a degree that we, we restrict who they're able to even play with on the playground. Sometimes I've seen it based upon the kind of clothes the kid's wearing. Are their shoes, right, new or all tattered and full of holes? It's a sad and sickening reality. Because it's all about social capital. How you will be seen engineering an image. And so we spend an inordinate amount of time with, with people who will make contributions, right? Credits to our social capital and we avoid people who make debits to our social capital. You don't want to be seen with them. People who are awkward. People who are so, just kind of socially different. We won't open our lives up to them. And then seventh, finally, perhaps it's because we live in the midst of a selfish cul-de-sac. And listen, this is perhaps the one that's most prevalent and underneath all the others. Listen, let me, let me tell you the truth. Listen, the physical force of gravity, it pulls everything to the center of the earth, doesn't it? it? Pulls everything to the center of the earth. And so in order to break away from gravity, what do you need? You need rocket boosters filled with rocket fuel that are going to blast you through the force of gravity. In order for the space shuttle to make it up into space and orbit the earth, you've got to have massive amounts of fuel to lift it off of the pad there in Cape Canaveral so that they can hand it over to Houston and let Houston guide it around the globe. But listen, there is also a spiritual and psychological force of gravity in our lives that pulls everything in our life to the center of self. So that everything in our life revolves around us. Every relationship in our life revolves around us. And so, as a, listen, the Bible knows that. God knows that. That's why he says stop doing that. Right? That's why he says show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Right, because he knows that we're naturally, our, our, our natural bent of our hearts is to fold in on themselves 
and live on this cul-de-sac where everything revolves around me rather than functioning as a cross street of God's hospitality by opening our lives up to other people, we live as a cul-de-sac of our own selfishness. And everything revolves around us. And listen, if you're in a cul-de-sac this morning, those values reflect more of the 10-foot privacy fence and the back patio. Those are more reflection of the kingdom of this world. Whereas the picket fence and the front porch is more a reflection of the kingdom of our God. Which one? I'm not saying you got to all go remodel your home. Some of you are like, I can't help it. The builders built it that way. I know. But maybe you need to remodel your life. To show this kind of consistent, uncoerced hospitality. Because what's at stake, church, is this. Is our mission. That's what's at stake. See, when we refuse to show uncoerced hospitality, you short-circuit the mission of disciple-making. See, because this kind of hospitality that we're called to show is not necessarily about making friends, but about making disciples. It's about making disciples. Having an open-door policy in your life is about disciple-making. So how do we do this? I want to give you several things this morning. Ways to practice intentional hospitality. Practice intentional hospitality. Because intentional hospitality asks this question, how can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by the opening of my life? Who are the people that can be brought together in my home, in my living room, most strategically for the sake of the kingdom? See, intentional hospitality is not content just to have the same old crew over for dinner again and again and again and again and again. Some of us are great at that. But intentional hospitality says, who can I invite from down the street? Who just recently moved in? Who, where are there neighbors that are Christless and churchless in my neighborhood that I can knock on their door and say, hey man, on Saturday night, we're going to be cooking dinner. I want you guys to bring, bring right, BYOM, bring your own meat, throw it on the grill. We're going to have a good, we're just going to hang out. We'd love to get to know you more. Right? Who can I invite into my life by showing intentional hospitality? Let me get real practical this morning and give you four ways you can do this. First, first, listen, don't delegate hospitality to a team, but be deliberately hospitable with your time. Some of you are like, as a church, listen, we've got a hospitality team, right? We've got deacons of hospitality. Show law on the Kwanzaa, right? They are killing it, knocking it out of the park, following up with guests, scheduling greeters, all that kind of stuff. We've got a team that does that. But listen, what the Bible says is, it says to every Christian. Not just to those deacons, and not just to their team. And so don't think that because we have a team, we can delegate being hospitable to someone else. But be deliberately hospitable with your time. Open your life up to one person who isn't already a part of your people. And who might that be? Who might that be? Listen, what if each one of us opened our life up to one neighbor, one coworker, one new family in our neighborhood over the next 30 days? So over the next month, we were deliberately hospitable with our time by going outside of our normal circle and inviting someone in. 
If we were, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, if we were seeking to show hospitality, not passively sitting back waiting for somebody to show up on our doorstep saying, hey man, can I come have dinner at your house? But we were actively seeking to show hospitality and opening our life up to those who are around us. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you included someone new in your regular activities? Right? If you run, if you if you play golf, if you hunt, if you fish, right? If you shop, if you craft, if you... See, I don't have as many good references for ladies because I'm not one. But if whatever you do, right? When was the last time you opened up that door to someone new and invited them to come along with you? When was the last time you widened your circle of relationships? Some are like, you don't, you, brother, you don't know. I'm an introvert. Right? And we introverts love our back patios. And we love our 10-foot privacy fences. Right? And even if you don't have a 10-foot privacy fence, you love the idea of one. Like, I'm going to go build one tomorrow. Right? If you're an introvert, what if you opened your life up to one new person, one new family a quarter? Every three months, you kind of stuck that head out of the shell and you began to engage someone and opened it up. If you're an extrovert, you're like foaming at the mouth right now. Who can I go meet? Right? What if you opened your life up to one new person a week? And you're just out there knocking on doors, taking invite cards, inviting people to the dance, inviting people to the preteen ministry, inviting people to gather with us on Sunday mornings, inviting them into your home, opening up your life. Because listen, in the ancient world, one of the things you need to recognize is this. In the modern world, many times we think that hospitality means that I can, I'm a good party planner. Right? Those who are in the hospitality industry, what do they do? They entertain people. You're like, I'm not a good entertainer. You don't have to be a good entertainer to be hospitable. Right? But what you do is you open up your home and you invite people into it. You see it as an outpost for mission, not a fortress for protection. And so you invite people to it. And it doesn't have to be like all kinds of party favors and you don't have to have like, you know, all the all, like chips, like seven chips and dip and three main courses and five desserts, right? You don't have to spotlessly clean everything before you invite somebody over. Look, I would love to walk into somebody's home to know they live just like me because all their toys are kicked over into the playroom and it's just life, man. Like you don't have to clean everything. The toilets, every once in a while, would probably be wise. But listen, everything else is probably off. On, off like, man, it is life. I've got dust bunnies in my corners that I have to sweep up every now and then. I'm sure you do too. Your home does not have to be spotless in order to invite somebody into it. To have dinner. To get to know them. To let your kids play together. Uh, be deliberately hospitable with your time. Second, invite a family that is without Christ and without a church to dinner at your home. Listen, oftentimes we're much more comfortable relating to, to people who believe like us, who talk like us, who know all our Christian lingo, right? So we can kind of speak Christianese to each other as we sit around the dining room table. But when was the last time you had an unbeliever in your home? And 
had a believer in your home, did that keep you from doing things that you would normally do as a family around the table? Like giving thanks to God, right? Again, maybe more than God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, right? But giving thanks to God for the the blessings in your life, giving thanks to God for the provision of that meal, praying for people in, on, your, on your street and on your block who have asked you to pray for them, praying for people in your church during that time of prayer. Do you do family devotionals around the table at night? When you have an unbelieving neighbor or coworker or friend into your home, do you continue to open up the Bible and talk about it? If you've got little kids, maybe you open up the Jesus Storybook Bible and you're reading through it. If you've got older kids, maybe you're, the verse they're memorizing from their class, you're taking it and you're talking about it. Right? And, and unpacking it together. When you invite a believing, unbelieving friend over for dinner, does that, all of a sudden, all that stuff kind of, the Bibles go into to the, to the cabinet or into the drawer, and you don't talk about the Bible, right? We just kind of sanitize everything to make them feel comfortable. Listen, if you do, if you do, then you're, one of the things you're doing, you have to recognize one of the things you're doing in that moment is you're short-circuiting your witness with them. I think as you invite them over for dinner, you say, hey, listen, after dinner, when dinner comes to an end, uh, you, say, you, you say to them, listen, we're going to, normally after dinner, we do our family, just kind of family Bible time. I'm going to invite you guys to do that. It's not going to be more than five or ten minutes. We're going to open the Bible, read a passage, and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to pray together. And afterwards, we'll go sit out on the pati- back patio behind our ten-foot privacy fence. Right? But when was the last time you had an unbelieving friend or family or co-worker or office cubicle partner or somebody on your kid's sports team that you invited into your home to begin to open your life for witness. Third, one of the ways you can open, have an open door policy for your life, listen, this, these kind of ever increasing uh, uh, in, in, you might say severity, I don't know if you, I would call it severity, um, but application create a pathway for people to be received in your life group. Listen, many of us, many of us are part of life groups within our church. We gather in homes throughout our community. But is, is that home, is that circle of people there, is it, a, is it an open circle or a closed circle? As new people try to infiltrate, as they try to integrate into the life of that life group. Are you here on Sunday mornings inviting new people who show up and connecting with them, saying, hey, hey, we have a group that meets on Thursday nights. We have a group that meets on Tuesday nights. We have a group that meets on Sunday afternoons. And you're actively inviting them. And whenever they show up, it's not just like, it's not this new, new couple, this new person sitting over here, and then everybody else is sitting over here. They're kind of catching up about their weeks, laughing, right, telling stories about their kids, all that kind of stuff, right? And then the other person's just kind of sitting over there, staring, oh, that's, that's a nice house, you know. Nice countertops kind of like this maybe I do it in my house but they're left out so you can open your house to other people and not open your life to them so is there a pathway in your life group to receive other people into it and then fourth and finally perhaps some of you God may be calling and leading to take a step and become a foster parent or start the adoption process you know that's hospitality? That's the opening of your life to another life? In particular, one that may have never heard the good news of Jesus and been in abusive situations in which they were neglected at best and harmed at 
physically or sexually at worst? What if God's leading you to become a foster parent where you're opening your life up to these kids who are in the system right now, receiving them into your home, loving them as you love your own children, providing for them, caring for them, sharing the good news with them, that there is a God that has made them, that loves them deeply and desired a relationship with them so deeply that He would send His Son to live and die in their place. So they would no longer be under the curse, but now know that loving Father and be received into His family as sons and daughters in the same way that you're bringing them into your family as a son or daughter, whether it be through foster or through adoption. That is hospitality. That is opening your life. Now listen, as we close this morning, I want to give you some fuel for this. Because as I said, naturally our inclination is to fold in on ourselves and ride our bikes around our cul-de-sac. And so what is the fuel that we need to lift off and, and, and emerge beyond our own selfishness and absorption with ourself? And here's what it is. Here's what it is. It's the hospitality of God Himself. You know that God has been hospitable to you. If you're a believer in this room this morning, He has been hospitable to you. In fact, the Bible is filled with references to God's hospitality. And it starts in the Old Testament. Hospitality was to be shown to strangers, exiles, and sojourners. Listen to what God says in Leviticus 19.34. He says to His people in Israel, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Look at the motive in the text. He says, you're to open your borders and boundaries. You're to open your life up to those who are sojourners, those who are strangers, those who are aliens. He says, and here's why. That little word for, when it shows up in the Bible, indicates a reason. Here's the reason you're to be this kind of hospitable people because I was hospitable towards you. I opened myself to you. Whenever you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I came in and rescued you from bondage and slavery slavery and captivity and I brought you out of Egypt and I planted you in this land that I promised to your forefathers as their inheritance so in the same way in the same way that I made my life open to you and rescued you out of bondage and slavery and captivity when you were sojourners open your life up your borders and boundaries to the sojourners in your midst is what God says to his people But listen, I want you to know something, that God not only opened up His life to you to make you a sojourner, to make you a stranger or an alien, right? He didn't just bring you into His house as a slave, as a servant. You know how He brought you into His home? As sons and daughters. In Galatians chapter 4, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I mean, verse 1, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he's under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Listen, church, that is good news. That you're not slaves. You're sons and daughters. God has opened His household. He's flung the doors wide to you. He's welcomed and received you. And then He turns and He says, show hospitality without grumbling in an uncoerced and consistent kind of way. Because apart from hospitality, your life will be closed for witness. Your neighbors will not see you loving the church in the way that Christ has called us to love the church and thereby know that you are His disciples, nor will they see you loving them. But you will always be an enigma to them and the people on the other side of the fence. I remember a television show years ago called Home Improvement. Tim Allen. Right? Some of you are like, I have no idea who that is. That's okay. That just means I'm getting old. But Tim Allen would go out into his backyard and he had this neighbor named Wilson. And you never saw Wilson's face. All you saw were his eyes. And they would peek over the fence and they would have some conversation. And maybe that's all you know about your neighbors right now. Just peeking over the fence or through the cracks. And if you have a board on board fence, you can't even have cracks to peek through. What would it look like if you went next door this next week and knocked on their door? Say, come over for dinner sometime. And widened your sphere of relationships. And see what God might do as you open your life for witness. Let's pray together. Father, we know that if we are to be faithful to the mission that you've given us, that there are certain critical things that are indispensable like your word and prayer and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit and a life that is open to others around us. Father, I pray that, that you would raise up a church, a church that is hospitable as we seek to plant a gospel witness here in this, in this growing city, that our lives would be not our own, but they'd be centered around you, your son and his mission of disciple-making. The mission that